Good morning. How are you this morning? It's been a good day so far, hasn't it? So what you just saw is our little teaser for next week and the next few weeks. We are leading up to Christmas with a beautiful Christmas series. Pastor Glenn is so excited to bring to you a word that relates to Christmas, the birth of our Savior, and some experiences from his own life that I think you will find very interesting and maybe amusing. How many of you love our pastor, Pastor Glenn Davis? I love him. He says, Pastor Tim, you don't have to say it every time, but I just, I like saying it. But right now we are at the end of our series, The Return. We've been talking about end times. In week one, we talked about the second coming of Jesus. Last week, we talked about Judgment Day. Today, snapshots of the book of Revelation. So, okay, so when I was in youth group, <clears throat> not, not here, it's like when I was a youth in youth group, I heard some snickering. I know it was a long time ago, but I can remember. And I was in a youth group, there were about 25 of us, we were getting ready to go into summer, and the leaders had this great idea for a game that would also help them decide what to teach. So this game was, they randomly picked out three of us, I was one of them, to each stand behind a chair in the youth room, and we would have a poster board and a marker, and each of us would write down three topics that we were interested in, and then we would all show them at the same time, and the other 22 people would just go to whatever topics they liked. Of course, the problem was I was not popular, I was new, I didn't stand a chance, you know, with these two popular kids. So I knew I had to cheat. <laughs> so the pr first person, this, uh, this nice girl, she turned over her poster board and it said love, joy, and peace. And the guy, he turned over his poster board and it said the parables of Jesus and heaven and something else. And I turned over mine and it said, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, 666. Guess who won? Yes, I cheated. So the point is, is we're all very interested in these things. Some of us avoid it because it's a little weird. At that time, when I turned over my board and a bunch of people came over to me, the youth leaders looked at me like, oh no, because they realized they had to teach it over the summer. So I'm teaching this stuff today. I need you to pray for me. Because what I'm doing in this is walking through like a field of landmines. What I mean by that is everyone, when they look at Revelation, they kind of have their pet theories and things that they're very passionate about. Um, very heartfelt passion on certain ways to interpret certain things in the book of Revelation. And if I don't hit it just the way somebody thinks, they're liable to blow up. So pray for me and pray for everyone in this room to have grace, if you will. So these are the images we think about when we hear about the book of Revelation. Images like death on a pale horse, plague and war, earthquakes, stars falling, mountains of fire, demon locusts, the bottomless abyss, a dragon, beast, a false prophet, 
And these are all images of Revelation, but there's also other images that are just as important, if not more so. A throne, a lamb, Jesus with eyes like flames of fire, a living rainbow, a voice of thunder, a scroll that tastes like honey, a beautiful bride adorned with pearl, sapphire, and emerald, and amethyst, trees of life, river of life, and a gentle hand to wipe away every tear. These are the images of the book of Revelation as well. The question is, what does it all mean? Today, we're just gonna take snapshots, okay? We're not going to explain the entire book of Revelation. It's certainly not possible in the time that we have, but we're gonna take snapshots from this sometimes frightening landscape from this very last book of the Bible. So what we want to do is to try to capture some of Revelation's sublime power, explain certain things, but give you tools to understand many of the things in the book of Revelation. And I just wanna take a moment to welcome all of those who are watching online. You're very important to us. And I've got a few shout outs of all the people watching online. We picked out a few. Brenda, you're watching from Largo. Felix, watching from Ohio. Will, from Alabama. And Catho, I like that name, Catho, from New Hampshire. God bless you. Let's all welcome those who are watching online with us today. And you can pray for me too. So the book of Revelation was written sometime in the 60 years following Jesus' ascension into heaven. It was written by John, who was exiled to a small island in the Mediterranean called Patmos. He was probably exiled for telling other people about Jesus. And while he was exiled on this island, God, on a Sunday, gave John a very powerful vision. Let's read how it opens in Revelation chapter one, verse one. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So this word revelation, the word originally it comes from Greek, because the Bible was, the New Testament was written in Greek, and this word in Greek is apocalypsis. Apocalypsis is where we get our word apocalypse, which you've heard before. And the word apocalypsis means an unveiling, an unveiling, to so take the veil off of something and reveal it. Oh, see, revelation, revealing, unveiling. And there's a couple of different, there's actually many different ways that people have used to try to interpret the vast number of symbols in this book. One way and one theory is to say that all of these things happened around John's time, or very close to John's time. Another theory says, no, all of the things that are talked about in Revelation refer to a distant future time from John, probably our time, 
but it's all distant future. What I wanna do is talk to you about three tools that you can use when you're reading Revelation to help you get the most out of it, regardless of what approach you take to Revelation. And the first tool is probably the most important, and that is humility. Humility. This is a very sophisticated, complex book full of symbols that is deeply interwoven with the rest of the scriptures. So one thing that I think is, is dangerous is to approach Revelation with a know-it-all kind of approach, that whatever you pick up uh, or hear or decide for yourself is you're perfect in your understanding. I don't think that's the right approach. I think humility allows us to be taught by the scriptures and not try to fit the scriptures into our ideas. The second thing is I wanna use what John used as a prophet. The prophets of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, did not expect us to look at their prophecies through just one angle. They expected us to use a series of lenses, lenses. The first lens that we're gonna use is the magnifying lens because John and other prophets expected us to hear what they said and look with a magnifying glass at the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible and the words of Jesus to see where has this appeared before so that we can draw understanding and truth from the scriptures that appeared before. So the lens kind of goes backwards into the Bible, magnifying glass. The second lens is the wide angle lens because in most cases, prophets, and I think John is one of them, there was an application to their own time. When John wrote the, seven, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, he was speaking to seven churches that existed at that time. There are other things in Revelation that applied to his own time. And we can learn a lot and enrich ourselves by figuring out what was going on then. But the third lens that these prophets often expected us to use, and I certainly think John did, is the telescopic lens looking into the future, to a time in the distant future. Many times in the Old Testament, they would be prophesying about current events, but also looking ahead and prophesying to a distant Messiah who would come in the person of Jesus. So let's use all of these lenses when we look at the scriptures of Revelation. The third thing that we're gonna keep in mind is that it's all these symbols. The numbers, the colors, the animals, they all mean different things. They're, they're symbols drawn from the Hebrew Bible. Now, just because it's a symbol doesn't mean it's real, okay? If I say uh, my daughter Gwendolyn is a ball of fire, does that mean that she's a literal ball of fire? No, but does, it's, a, it's a symbol, right? But does that symbol mean that Gwendolyn isn't real? Of course not, she's very real. The symbol helps you to understand something about my daughter, Gwendolyn. So these symbols, the same thing. I'm just gonna give you one symbol right now because this is gonna crop up in the future. And that is the sea, the ocean, the sea, in the book of Revelation and in actually other parts of the Bible is a symbol for the forces of chaos. For the forces of chaos. Sometimes you'll read in the Bible that the sea is portrayed negatively and floods and that sort of thing. So I like the beach, I like the sea, I like to go sailing. 
The, the concept is, is that's a symbol that is used for chaos. So let's look at three unveilings this morning, as we just are taking snapshots, remember. And the first unveiling that I wanna look at, this is in your notes, is the book of Revelation unveils the person and power of Jesus Christ. The person and power of Jesus Christ. This is one of the foremost purposes of Revelation. Let's look at Revelation chapter five, starting at verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. These are wax seals that prevent you from opening the next part of the scroll. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Let's unpack this a little bit. Here is God the Father sitting upon the throne in this vision. Other times in Revelation, Jesus is on the throne, but it's God the Father on the throne, and he's holding a scroll with seven seals. The number seven in Scripture, in apocalyptic literature, especially Revelation, it means complete or perfect. Seven is, it's done, it's completed, it's perfect, it's the number of perfection. So here unrolling this scroll, which is God's plan for justice, God's plan for renewal for the human race, it's, I mean, it's sealed up, so who's gonna be able to open it? No one is seven, no one is perfect. And you have to be to open up this perfect plan. The angels are not perfect. The creatures around the throne aren't perfect. Who can open the Father's plan? Well, this is when the elder tells John, who's freaked out about this, is we're just never gonna know. And the elder says, oh, there's someone who is seven. The lion, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This goes all the way back to Genesis, the blessing of Judah the foreshadowing of the Messiah, the root of David, of the Lion of David. We're talking about Jesus Christ here. So John, his symbolism, he's looking, he's, there's gonna, he knows there's gonna be a lion bounding out of the background, coming into the midst of the elders. Rawr, he's gonna rip that scroll open, right? Well, look what happens in the next verse. Verse six. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Oh, they parted all right. There was a symbol all right, but the lion of the tribe of Judah, the triumphant one, 
It's a lamb who was slain. What a twist. What an incredible twist to this vision. And the, the slain lamb, this bloodied lamb, it brings back visions of this magnifying glass to the Old Testament. Who saw a prince of Egypt, right? The, the Exodus and the Passover lamb that was sacrificed to protect the children of Israel from death, that plague of death. The lamb that throughout the history of Israel was sacrificed on the day of atonement for the sins of Israel, foreshadowing God's own son that would be the lamb of God. And this is him, the this is triumph, this is him. John is unveiling that Jesus alone unrolls the scroll of life's meaning and the future, and this is in your notes, the central mysteries of life can only be unveiled by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only, it's the only way the plan can unroll. You know, when I met Jesus, I was 15 years old, I was alone late at night in my room, and I called out to him and asked for forgiveness. And he's 15 years old, you're like, it could be a phase, right? And maybe in a few days, just go back to normal life. But something happened to me when I met Jesus. I began to look at things completely differently. It's almost like an unveiling of the world. Colors look different. Life look, do you remember that day? It's almost, people are nodding their heads. You remember what happened inside the way that you saw. Nothing was the same. Now, I was far from perfect still. Doesn't mean that I lived a perfect life after 15. But the way that Jesus unveiled and unrolled the scroll of my life, something only he could do. Let's look at the second unveiling in the book of Revelation. And this is where we get into a lot of the heavy stuff. Revelation unveils the present cosmic conflict. Cosmic conflict. So in the book of Revelation, disaster after disaster happens. And this is this recurring theme of history where disasters and plagues, and, and I don't know if you know that plagues happen sometimes. Um, it's, you know, not today, of course, but we've got, you know, throughout the last 2,000 years, there have been these terrible things that have happened. But as they happen, it will be a sign that this age is coming to a close. It is. And in this cosmic conflict that unrolls here, we have seven seals in the scroll. We have seven trumpets that sound and seven bowls that pour out. Seven, seven, seven. Seven, seven, seven is a divine number. There are three numbers, which refers to the Trinity, this is who God is. Seven is perfect or complete. Seven, seven, seven is a trinity of perfection. It's the number of God, the number of God's way. And this is setting us up for something else that's coming, isn't it? Look at Revelation chapter nine, verse 20 though, because not everybody wants to follow God's way. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver and bronze and stone and wood, idols that can't see or hear or walk. 
Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So the Bible in the book of Revelation has a name for the kind of thinking and behavior that we just saw described in these two verses. And the name is Babylon. Babylon. Let me try to explain that. There is this design pattern in Scripture. It starts on page three of the Bible where people tend to do whatever looks good to them and then not follow God's way but take for themselves. In page three of the Bible, the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve, the story is they're, they're confronted by this boundary. God said, just don't eat from this tree. Trust me, I know it's good and I know it's evil. And then there's this weird character, the snake, right? Shows up, says, oh, really? God said that? Oh, see, he knows the day you eat of this, you're gonna be like him, you're gonna know. You're gonna be able to see for yourselves the difference between good and evil, which is sort of a half-truth, right? So what does it say the human did? The human looked. You know, the forehead is associated with the eyes in Hebrew thinking, not with the mind, because it's where you see from. Looked, saw that it was desirable to make one wise, look good for food, and then took with the right hand and ate. And then this pattern repeats itself with Cain, who murders his brother, same thing. And humans, as a whole, in Genesis 11, they, what they do is they take this whole thinking of we're gonna see what's right in our own eyes, and then we're gonna just take for ourselves and make a name for ourselves, and they gather forces and say, let's all do this together, and we'll make ourselves a tower to make a name for ourselves. This is the Tower of Babel which in Hebrew is the same word used for Babylon. Babylon is the human way of doing things apart from God. Babylon is not just a city in the ancient Middle East or an empire. Babylon, this is in your notes, is the system in which humans seek a name for themselves, see things the way they want, and do what seems right to them. Babylon is a way of living apart from God. Let's develop this a little bit further. So in Revelation here, we have showing up a dragon, a beast, and a second beast. This is an unholy trinity. A fake trinity from the powers of chaos comes from the sea. In a sense, they're all chaos power, all evil, all antichrist, almost one, but they split into three roles. The dragon is the devil, the beast is the role of Antichrist. The second beast is the false prophet. So what is going on here? Let's look at Revelation chapter 13, starting at verse 15. The second beast, that's the false prophet, was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Okay, remember through scripture, 
repeated pattern, design pattern of Scripture, the right hand to take what we think we want, make a name for ourselves, forehead, do what is right in my own eyes. This is a strong hyperlink to anybody that's immersed in the Scriptures at that time. They know what John's talking about here. Specifically, they know John is referring in his Bible lens, his magnifying glass, to Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six, one of the most revered scriptures, not just among Jews of the Old Testament, but what Jesus calls the greatest commandment. This is the Shema, the Shema in Hebrew. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad is how it begins. Why don't we do it in English? Um, Deuteronomy chapter six, starting at verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The Shema is to overcome, you see, the, the way of doing things where you see things from your own perspective and take for yourself. In your notes, the mark of the beast is the anti-Shema of Babylon the anti-Shema, the anti-greatest commandment. Because the Shema says, God is one, put him first. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Keep the command in your heart. Let it guide what you see as right and wrong, and let it guide your every action. The anti-Shema, the mark of the beast, says, look out for number one. Put yourself first. Love your own agenda with all your heart, soul, and strength. Let what seems good to you guide your perspective. Let it guide your every action. In case you missed this, John doubles down on the meaning of this. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, he says, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. That number is 666, six, six. 666. Okay, so, uh, you know, if, if you've been in uh, churchianity long enough, you have heard uh, 666 being applied to lots of different people, um, and it has historically been applied to Genghis Khan and Napoleon, Adolf Hitler, Barack Obama, Ronald Reagan was, was uh, you know, because Ronald is six letters, Wilson, his middle name is six letters, Reagan is six letters, so people were saying when Reagan was president, it has to be Ronald Reagan. Um, so that, that's not exactly what John is getting at here. Remember, 777 is divine perfection. Six is also a symbolic number in Scripture, and it's the human number. Humans are created on the sixth day. It's the number of falling short of perfection. It is also the number of sin. Three, three of anything is divine. It's a trinity. So three sixes 
is a human trying to become God. Look for someone who sees things in the way of Babylon and acts accordingly and tries to make themselves into God. So I'm gonna use the wide angle lens of John's time because there is an application here. There was a game that, that was played, this was kind of like an everyday, people would do this, you know, in their spare time, they didn't, they didn't have smartphones, so. Um, there was a game called Gematria, where they would take the letters of people's names and then find the corresponding numbers of those letters, because there were numbers that matched every letter of a person's name. And they could do all kinds of mathematical computations and come up with little puzzles and so forth. So using this gematria, there is a name of around John's time that adds up to 666. That's Nero Caesar. Nero Caesar. Now John was not saying that Nero is the beast, but he's saying if you want to know what that person is like that's going to fulfill this, Here's one example. You've got Pharaoh in the Old Testament, you've got Nebuchadnezzar, we've got these Old Testament examples. Well, here's a current one, Nero. That's what the beast is like. If you know anything about Nero, it's, it's not pretty. But there's a future lens, a telescope as well. Be on the lookout for those who would say to you, look, if you wanna do business, if you wanna buy or sell, if you want to have a job, you can't go by God's word. You have to do what seems right in human eyes, and then you have to act on that. Give up your allegiance to Jesus. You will not surely die if you do that. I mean, look at this beautiful low-hanging fruit. Just take it, and then, then you'll really have success and know the difference between good and evil. You'll be like God. So, okay, now I know that there's, there's a lot of talk and study out there about technology and the mark of the beast, and I'm not discounting any of that. That could be a very real thing, okay? Microchips and nanotechnology and, and micro tattoos and 2020 ID and all, that's, that could all be really valid. I just suggest stay away from anything that smells a little bit like a mark of the beast, right? Anything of any time but you do not have to wait for that technology to actually have the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is here. It's making the rounds. It's a coiled serpent whispering every day, no, do what seems right in your own eyes. Take with your hand. And the answer to the mark of the beast is no, no. The Lord my God, the Lord is one. And I will love the Lord with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my strength. That is the antidote. And finally, the third unveiling. If you want to know what happens to Babylon, by the way, chapter 18, it goes away. Babylon the great is fallen, Revelation says. Fallen. It will end this whole system and human way of rebelling against God. Come out of her, God says, come out. She's fallen. 
But there's a tension throughout the first 18 chapters of the book of Revelation, there's an expectation, and this is the third unveiling. Revelation unveils the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Something really, really good is in store for all of us who love Jesus. All the difficulties and sorrows expressed in Revelation, that's not really what the story is about. Look at Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse one. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Get a clue what that means now? Forces of chaos are gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The reality is that the end of the Bible is a new beginning. It's a new beginning. The book of Revelation is not really talking about end times. The second coming of Jesus, Armageddon, the judgment, this is all the beginning of renewed times. The human project that stalled a long time ago, it gets a reboot. But this time, God has bonded himself with humans in the person of his son, Jesus. And he is with us, and we are with him, and it will not fail. So we're gonna worship him together in just a second because the great challenge of the book of Revelation, there's more than one, but one of the great challenges of this book is the challenge to worship the one upon the throne, to worship Jesus, to worship the Father. In Revelation chapter five, listen to the worship that goes before the throne. Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So it says every creature, we're creatures. Watching online, there's some creatures. So I want to invite us all as creatures, creation of the Lord, to worship him. And the words of this song, most of them are taken from the book of Revelation. I think it strongly connects us with that book. Would you join me now in worship?
He is worthy. He is holy. He is good. Is that the, not the message of Revelation? He is worthy. He is holy. He is good. Would you just sit down for just a moment? Worship is the challenge of the last book of the Bible. I want to encourage you, we have an opportunity to worship Wednesday at 7 o'clock. It's Worship Wednesday. It's our one Worship Wednesday in December leading into Christmas. And here's the thought. If you love the thought of Jesus' return, what better way to honor that than to celebrate his first coming, the birth of Jesus, to celebrate that the Father sent his only son and to worship him together. Kind of a revelation experience but it will be Christmas, it will be Christmas themed because there is no greater thing that we can do to honor his second coming than to celebrate his first. So I wanna challenge you, Wednesday at seven o'clock right here, I'd like you to join me to take an hour out of your Christmas schedule and lift up the name of Jesus together, it will be beautiful. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes, nobody looking around for just a moment. I believe that there are people in this room that were especially touched today. That maybe you have not really been doing things God's way. Your life has been on a different trajectory. You know that you've been doing what seems right in your own eyes and taking things for yourself doing things your own way rather than God's way. And yet God has been kind of tugging at your heart, calling you to him. And maybe you thought, I don't know, I'm too far gone. It's too late for me. No, not me. And God's saying, yes, you. You cannot earn my forgiveness. I give it to you freely as a gift. That's what the cross is. It's a gift for you. But if you call on the name of the Lord, he will forgive you no matter what you've done. He'll clear the slate and he'll give you a new birth. And if that's you today and you wanna say, Pastor Tim, I'd like you to keep me in your prayers. In a moment here, I'm gonna say a prayer, but I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna have you stand up or embarrass you or anything like that. But with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, if you wanna be included in this prayer that I'm gonna pray. When I count to three, I just want you to slip up your hand. As soon as I see it, you can put it right back down. But I wanna pray for you. If you wanna be prayed for, included in this prayer, slip up your hand when I count one, two, and three. Just slip your hand up in the air. Yes, I see your hand, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, yours. Yes, thank you, and yours, I see it, sir. Yes, thank you, thank you, I see your hand, and yours and yours, many hands in this place. So I wanna honor God and what he's doing in you by saying this prayer together. You can repeat after me and everyone in the room actually, everyone in the room, repeat after me for the sake of those that raise their hands. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned, but you sent your son to die for me that I might be forgiven 
and raised him from the dead that I might have new life. So I call upon your name. Forgive me of my sins. And I make your son Jesus my Lord, my Savior, and my God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we give God some glory for what he's just done in this place? He's a good God. Would you stand with me now to receive a blessing, a revelation, blessing? Good way to start this month, isn't it? And if you're watching online, you can just turn your palms upwards to receive. I bless you with the love of Jesus' return. I bless you in the name of the Lamb the Lion of Judah, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, everyone. See you on Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed today's service, Countryside. I just want to say, if you made the decision to follow Jesus today, congratulations. The Bible says the angels are rejoicing in heaven right now for you. You have a church family here that is for you. We want to help you along in this journey because this is only the beginning. So if you need prayer for any reason, you can go to countryside.cc prayer. But we will see you all next week.